Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 24 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the evening service of Sunday the 15th of November 2009, entitled The Fundamentals, His Visible Return, Part 9, and the Bible reading is taken from Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Holy Word beginning in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they set upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Our Father and our God, we thank you again, Lord, for our time together this evening. We pray now that you would use this time, that you would anoint, Father, that you would use it to speak to hearts, Give each one something here this evening, Lord. Lord, that would help all of us to leave here different than when we came. Somehow a bit closer to our Lord, a bit more like Him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. We said this morning, of course, in looking at fundamental truths concerning Jesus Christ our Lord, we've been looking at His visible return. We're looking today at... Christ reigning with his church on this earth. Now again, this evening, if you've got your handouts that we've been looking and using as just a guide to help you there, on the one that is the breakdown of the book of Revelations, we're still in the same square we were in this morning. That's where we'll be when we finish tonight. That's the millennial reign, the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ on earth. If you've got your timeline that is just trying to help put everything into perspective in one place that you can look and see all of these things that are taking place, we'll see a number of those things falling into place this evening as we look at this scripture here in Revelation chapter 20. Now this morning we said as we consider the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ that we need to understand three aspects of his reign because there is much confusion today. And I said, with all due respect, that I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, but by the same token, it is because of not looking at these aspects and how they fit in that many times confusion is brought about. We looked, first of all, at His eternal reign. And we saw in Scripture that, yes, the Scriptures bear out absolutely clearly that Jesus Christ, He is the beginning, He is the end, He has always reigned, He will always reign, He is reigning over creation, all of creation that He created and that He sustains by His own hands. 
So yes, God and the Lord Jesus Christ in particular, and of course we talked about if Jesus Christ, if His deity is true, if He is part of the Godhead, when the Bible speaks of God reigning, it's just as surely Jesus Christ reigning because He is one God in three persons. So His eternal reign, and we looked at a number of aspects of that, but we said when we look at His eternal reign, some would tell us that it's this, God's reigning over all of creation that somehow fits into this thousand years rather than a literal, visible 1,000-year reign upon this earth. Folks, that's not it. That's not the thousand-year reign. We acknowledge His eternal reign. And we said, secondly, that we acknowledge His essential reign, talking about the reality that, yes, Jesus Christ does reign over creation, all of creation, but specifically, we looked at the fact of how that for believers, He reigns in the hearts of believers. We must. There is only one way to be saved, and that's to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. We looked at that passage this morning, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Nobody, anywhere, at any time, can ever be saved outside of the gospel and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not just acknowledging that that was a good man that hung on that cross. It's not just acknowledging that it was a prophet that hung on that cross. It's not just acknowledging that he was maybe the, the greatest example that ever lived. It's not even enough to acknowledge that it was merely the Son of God that hung upon that cross, but that it was God incarnate in the flesh that died upon that cross for you and I. We must acknowledge Him for who He is. And it is essential for every human being alive, if they have any hope for the future, if there is ever to be any hope for their future, that can only come through Jesus Christ our Lord. And for each and every Christian, once they have been saved, it is essential that Jesus Christ rule and reign in our lives. We submit ourselves to Him to his desires, to his commands, to his will. And a Christian will never be happy, and a Christian's lives will never amount to anything as long as we're wrapped up in my wants and my wills and what I do, except what God wants. Be willing to accept what he wants to do with your life. As we said that it is essential for a person to accept Christ for who he is, and it is essential for a child of God to allow Jesus Christ to rule and reign in his life. But that's not what the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ upon this earth is all about. Now I want us to look, thirdly this evening, at his earthly reign. If we acknowledge his eternal reign over all of creation, and if we acknowledge His essential reign in the lives of believers today, what is His earthly reign? What are we talking about that's repeated several times in the Scriptures that we read here in Revelation, keeping in mind that we've already established a number of fundamental truths concerning our Lord Jesus Christ, a number of things concerning His visible return, but as we turn to this third aspect of his reign, that being the reign 
with his church on the earth. And of course, we said again that we're talking specifically that if you have your chart where it says the return of Christ to the earth with his church, which we looked at last Sunday, that then it is this green area on here that we're talking about the 1,000-year reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen the return of, of Christ. We've seen him coming with his saints to the earth and some of the events that relate to that great event. I remind you again this evening, I do not want to put more weight than is necessary, but I want you to understand the importance of what we're talking about. The fundamental issue is that Jesus Christ is coming, the same Jesus that went away, that he is returning to this earth. His visible, personal return to this earth is fundamental to the Christian faith. Others may disagree on the timing that we're talking about specifically But it's important if you are or ever plan on being a part of this local church because the teaching of prophecy, the things that pertain to God's Word, this is the way that they're going to come because we take God's Word literally for what it says. And if that's the kind of of reading, when you read God's Word, if you accept it for what it says and try not to to spiritualize it away, then you will come to a premillennial return of Jesus Christ to this earth. But we're looking here at this extremely important issue, just as surely as genuine Christians disagree on other aspects of his second coming, there's at least three primary views concerning his earthly reign. And it's amazing the number of times I hear people, they, they've heard these terms, but they don't understand what they mean. Well, first of all, may I say to you that most of the time terms aren't so important. A lot of people just want to toss them around to impress you a little bit. But it is important that we understand and know the difference in truth and false. Now, of course, one of the views which has been part of Christendom for a number of years, and there's not a lot of it around to now, but there's still some, which is what is known as post-millennialism. Now, this view sees the second coming of Christ as post or subsequent to or following after the millennial reign that the thousand years is going to come first, and then Christ is going to return to the earth. That doesn't really fit in with a lot of the things that we read about him reigning and the saints coming back with him and all these that are going to reign with him. You see, this view would see the reign of Christ as a spiritual reign, not as a physical reign through his presence being there. Many of these things have to be spiritualized, and that's why I said you must understand. It is one thing to spiritualize. We do recognize a spiritual reigning, a spiritual kingdom that we talked about this morning. That's not what this passage is speaking of, but you must be aware that it's there. One that you'll probably come across more frequently is sometimes you'll hear it pronounced as millennialism, and sometimes as amillennialism. It's the same thing just whether you want to put a short or a long mark over that A. But it's just like with most things, when you say a person is amoral or amoral, if they're A, that it just means that they really just don't have anything to do with it at all. You see, this view doesn't see the thousand-year reign of Christ as literal and as physical. but rather see the Scriptures as speaking in metaphors describing us right now in the church age. 
The only reign of view in this amillennial point of view is not a literal thousand years that's going to come after Christ's return, but that is happening right now through the church, that we're already in it. Well, I'm going to give you a few scriptures in a few minutes that it really bothers me to try to figure out if this is describing the thousand-year reign and we're already in it, then I'm, I am really missing something somewhere. And I don't say that to be funny. I'm as serious as I can be. I believe that God's Word says what it means and means what it says. Now, if you have your diagram there, this is unashamedly where this preacher comes from. And I don't think you have to believe this to go to heaven, by the way. This is not the fundamental to the faith, but it is very important to your faith, and it's very important that you know what you believe when you read the Bible. How are you going to read this prophecy, and how are you going to understand it? Do you take it for what it says, or do you take it as, as being an allegory, or do you take it as being spiritualized? What is it? But the third is what we know as premillennialism. In its simplest explanation, this is simply a view that Christ's second coming, his return to this earth, is pre or before a literal millennial kingdom to be set up and reigned over by Jesus Christ himself here upon this earth. That's the view that you see before you on the timeline if you have one there in front of you. This view is the most literal in interpretation of Scripture and the one to which this preacher holds to and believes. You see, we saw back in Revelation chapter 19, notice what it said there in verses 11 through 16. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 16 says, we looked at this last week, and I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, with everything that I can gather, and we looked at that last, last Sunday, we're not going to go back there. Who are those armies in heaven? We went back and we looked. Those people that are in heaven are those that have already gone up in the rapture, praise God. They've already gone through the judgment seat of Christ. They've already gone through the marriage supper of the Lamb. They've been made ready, never ever, to be separated from Jesus Christ again. I said, don't worry. If you're not a good fighter, if you're not really all that keen on getting into a, a, to a battle, because no word does it say you have to fight. It just says you'll be with him. He'll take care of all the battling. Don't worry. Jesus Christ will do it himself. He doesn't need our help to win the battle. But we'll be with him. We believe if you take a literal interpretation, 
Jesus Christ is returning with his saints. And we've seen a number of, of those that is mentioned in the Bible, even in our reading today, that the Bible specifically says will be reigning and ruling with him. We find that when he comes back, notice what it said in verses 17 to 19. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. They may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. You see, we find that Jesus Christ, he is returning. And when he returns... Here we have the Antichrist and all of his kings. We talked about the symbolism of all of those horns and everything there as we looked at it. He's got the armies of this world. He's brought them up, and they're going against them. And what does the Lord Jesus Christ do? Well, notice what it says in verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. It's right there. It's on your chart for you to look at. But yes, what am I saying? I'm saying the Word of God says that Christ is returning with His saints. The Word of God says that when He comes, He's going to defeat the Antichrist and the armies of this world at the Battle of Armageddon. He's going to cast the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire where they are eternally doomed. Notice in verse 21, And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. The remnant, all those that are left, all those that join force with the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're going to be slain. They're going to be wiped out. Preacher, do you believe that's literal? I do. Absolutely. And I said to you this morning, we saw how that we must realize and understand Satan's kingdom must be put down. It must be destroyed. It must fall. We find that Jesus Christ is returning, but he's not coming as a babe in a manger. He's coming in judgment. He's coming in force. He will defeat the armies of this world. He'll defeat the Antichrist. He'll defeat the false prophet. And then notice as we look into our passage where we look today, notice what he says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. You see, Satan himself, is being bound. Again, those scriptures are right there on your timeline for you. He is literally being bound, put into the bottomless pit, 
and sealed up, the Bible says, specifically for a thousand years. Now again, people want to spiritualize that. They want to make, you know, all kinds of different things. But I'm just saying there is absolutely no reason to think that God meant anything than what he said to us. Yes, he preaches in parables sometimes. Yes, he uses allegories and things to teach us. But there is absolutely nothing to lead us to believe that God is making up some kind of story here. We find that the Scripture is telling us precisely what's going to happen at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Why? Because during this 1,000-year millennial reign of millennial reign of Christ, there will be no Satan's influence on this earth. <laughs> he won't be there. He's going to be in that bottomless pit. Notice also what else is happening. That's found there in verse 4. He says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ again. How long? A thousand years. We find that when we were going through on your book of Revelation study charts, we went through the seals and the trumpets, and we went through all those vials that were opened, and we looked at the horrible things that will be taking place upon this earth. We talked about very vividly about the fact those that somehow think, well, you know, just in case, you know, if suddenly these Christians happen to be right, suddenly that trumpet sounds and they all disappear. Well, I'm going to know it's true then, and then I'll sort something out about it. Not according to the Word of God. If you rejected it when you heard it, the Bible says you'll be blinded, that you're going to believe a lie, and that you'll be damned. The simple truth is, there will be people saved during the seven years of tribulation. But folks, I don't say this haughtily. I would love to be wrong. But if I'm reading the Scriptures as they seem to be speaking very clearly to me, for those that have rejected it already, there will be no chance for them during that seven years of tribulation. We find here's man's final seal at the end of that seven years of tribulation. Now, the Antichrist is being put down at Christ's return. The false prophet has been put down. Satan himself has been bound for a thousand years. But for all those that we talked about, those Christians, for anybody to profess Christ during that seven years of tribulation, not to receive the mark of the beast, it will cost them their lives. But right here, Literally right at the end of that seven years of tribulation, when Jesus Christ is getting ready to set up his kingdom, he says he's going to raise every one of those up from the dead that were beheaded, that lost their lives during the tribulation because of their faith. Brother Steve, they're not going to have to stay dead too long. <laughs> he says he's going to raise them up and that they are going to reign with him for that thousand years. Then notice that he goes on. He says, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. There's going to be another resurrection at the end of the thousand-year reign. But you don't want to be part of that one. Because the dead in Christ have already risen. Those that have been saved during the seven years of tribulation, guess what? They've risen right now. 
But there's still those that have died without Christ that will come out of those graves. But that's going to be at the end of the thousand-year reign. And you do not want to be part of that group. Everybody's coming out at some time or another. But you don't want to be a part of that last group. He goes on in verse 6. He says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they again shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. I mean, you know, I don't think it's a misprint. <laughs> All those that are being raised when God's dealing with the ones that's being put down, Satan's being bound for a thousand years. Those saints that are being raised, they're going to reign with him for a thousand years. We keep hearing this over and over. If you take Scripture literally to mean what it says, unless you're directed otherwise by God himself in Scripture, you will see Christ's second coming as a visible, personal coming in power, pre or prior, or however you want to set it, to setting up his literal, visible kingdom upon this earth where he will reign with his saints for 1,000 years. That's what the Word of God says. The Scriptures tell us a significant amount concerning this 1,000-year reign. Besides what we read here in the book of Revelation, and of course we don't have time to look at all that the Word of God because we find as we look back into the Old Testament books of prophecy that even there the prophets were seeing ahead to this kingdom of God that would be set up here. Look back with me, if you would, to the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Notice what he says there. We'll read just verses 2 through 4. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Let me say this, folks, not just from this one passage, but from what we read here and what we understand. Not only do I believe the Bible literally teaches us that Jesus Christ is coming back to set up a kingdom to reign here, but he's coming back to reign from Jerusalem again. He's going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to reign and rule. And right here is just one place of others that speaks of this where he's going to have his kingdom set up. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Look, I don't mean to be rude, but I find it just absolutely mind-boggling. And I know, I, know, I know good men, but I find it mind-boggling to try to comprehend that we are now already in the thousand-year reign of Christ. Well, what's happening? I mean, do we see a world at peace where that on the one hand, that those things that may have been used as instruments of war 
are being turned into something else that are peaceful items, where that nations are not rising against nations. It seems to me that we live in a time when you can't get away from it. When one battle starts, another one stops. When one stops, another one starts. And it's just on and on and on and on. We find that the Bible is talking about the Lord having a kingdom set up here. And people going to him because he's there, personally, visibly present there. But it's a time that when he's sitting there, this world has changed drastically. No longer are they fighting each other. No longer are they killing each other. Look with me just a little farther over into Isaiah. And notice what he says in chapter 11. And again, we won't read it all because there is so much. And Take time. Read about it. But I want you to get an idea. I want you to understand why that, you know, we've said from the beginning, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't do you any good to just know these Bible theological terms. Yeah, I'm a premillennialist, or yeah, I'm an amillennialist, or whatever. Why are you that? What do you believe, and why do you believe it? We've got God's Word. There ought to be a reason why we believe what we believe. We find that in our day, not many, or I should say too many, Christians cannot give an apology for what they believe. Apologetics have gone out the window. They know this because they've heard it here or they've heard it there. Somebody else comes along and tells them something else and suddenly their mind is changed. What we know, what we base our faith upon should come not from man, but from the Word of God. Yes, you need to be in a church where you can trust what your preacher's saying and, and trust what your deacons are saying and, and trust what the teachers are teaching. But we're all fallible. I wish I could stand here and look you in the face and say that I would never, ever, ever, I'll never tell you anything wrong, that everything I says will be perfectly right. But I'm not foolish enough to say that. I would never intentionally misguide you or mislead you in any way, shape, or form. But the truth is, I'm a man. I can fail. I can be wrong. But God's never wrong. You know something else, Brother Steve? I've found over the years that those things that I believe just because that I've heard them, it's a whole lot easier to change those things than those things that I've studied God's Word and I believe them and I know them because God has taught them to me. Because I've seen it in God's Word. You see, I have no malice towards my brethren that don't see the, the timing of Christ's return in the same way that I do. But by the same token, I believe what I believe because I see it here in God's Word. And if anybody wants to take the Word of God and show me whether we can believe something, I want you to not just say, well, I'm a premillennialist because I go to Bethel Free Baptist Church down there, and that's what we are. Well, you know, God forbid. You might get another pastor in here someday that might turn out to be a, a millennialist. <laughs> You're going to just change your mind because... Bethel Free Baptist Church, I hope. Matter of fact, that's why it's in our statement of faith. That's why, you know, whether it's a member that's coming in here or whether it's somebody that's coming here that's going to be teaching and preaching God's Word, they ought to be in agreement with the statement of faith of what we believe and what we teach, what we've agreed to as a church. And every one of you that are members, that's what you looked at that statement of faith to see what this church believes, 
before you became a member. We're not out here just trying to, to run up numbers for the sake of running numbers. We want Christ to build his church here. And we want a church that's built solid on God's Word. We're not saying that we've got all the answers and everybody else is wrong, but we're supposed to be a body that's in unity with one another. That doesn't mean that we're even going to see eye to eye on every little issue. That's why we're going through this series for 20-some sermons now, and I don't know how many more to go, is that we're supposed to be contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Well, what are we contending for? What are we fighting for? What do we believe, and why do we believe it? Is it based upon what God has shown us? You see, as we look here into Isaiah chapter 11, what verses did I say? Verses 1 through 9 I said I was going to read. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, which shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove the equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Listen, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. Now, when was the last time that you saw a wolf and a lamb playing together, just enjoying each other's company. When was the last time that you saw these animals that would normally be enemies, that would normally be ravaging each other, playing together, enjoying life together? When was the last time you let your child go out and play with the lions and the leopards? <laughs> this is what it's supposed to be like. When this one, this one that, this branch that should grow up out of his roots, this one that the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about here, in his kingdom, that's what the earth is going to be like. You see, suddenly, keep in mind, if you look at all that we've looked at through this book of Revelations right here, at this point, going into the millennial reign, there are no sinners left. Satan's kingdom has been put down, and everybody that was a part of it has been put down. They'll be raised up again at the end to face Jesus Christ. But going into this thousand-year reign, there's no sinners on the earth. There's no Satan on the earth. And the one that's sitting upon the throne that's ruling and reigning over it all from Jerusalem is Jesus Christ himself. The cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play in the hole of the asp. <laughs> Sent your child out to play with the snakes lately? <laughs> and the weaned child shall put his hand in the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. 
where the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, folks, and again, I don't say it with any bitterness. I'm saying that because may, maybe just in my understanding, Brother Steve, if I don't take the Word of God literally, if I don't believe that Jesus Christ is literally, visibly coming back personally to set up, to reign, and to rule, then what do I do? Tear these pages out of my Bible? Does none of it mean anything? Is it all just allegory that somehow pitting pictures of things in the church? Well, what are we, how do we go there? He's given us absolutely no reason whatsoever to take it any other way than what he's told us. Yes, I literally believe that that's the way it was in the Garden of Eden, Brother Paul. I believe that once again, when Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom here upon this earth, I believe that's the way it's going to be again, Brother Steve. All these animals and humans, all at peace in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we talk about being premillennialist, we need to know what we're saying. It's not necessary for you to be a premillennialist to go to heaven. But you've got to believe something, folks. We've got too many people today that don't want to believe anything. They don't want to commit to anything because they don't want to ruffle somebody else's feathers. And may I say it? A lot of people are afraid to commit because they really don't know what they believe because they've spent no time with God, no time in God's Word trying to understand what the Bible says. We say this is the Word of God. We say this is what we're basing our eternity upon. And yet how many times have just lay on the shelf collecting dust? How much time do we spend in it? How much time do we spend trying to understand what God has given us that will affect every area of our lives. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns with His church to the earth, I can't see any other way than that He is coming visibly to set up a real kingdom right here upon this earth where He Himself will rule and reign for 1,000 years. And of course, we're going to I guess come to probably a close next Sunday as we move on considering other fundamentals of this faith that we're contending for. But we find that there's a few more things there on your chart that I simply called the result of His coming on eternity. What difference does it make? Well, I can tell you right here this, this evening that when He comes, it'll make all the difference to your eternity and where you're going to spend eternity. And nobody else in all the world can do anything about that except you. You remember what I told you when I I gave you this this outline on the book of Revelation? You know, I I didn't sit down and just do this because I didn't have anything, anything to do with my time. It was because I know so many people that said, you know, we've tried to read that and tried to understand it and can't. God doesn't give it to us to confuse us. He gives it to us that we might understand. That doesn't mean you have to know every answer. And yes, there's a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation, and I haven't met anybody yet that really knew as much as they thought that they knew about it usually. And too many times we're so busy trying to figure out the things that if God had thought it was so important, He would have told you so. 
Take it for what God's given you. Take it for the purpose that it's there for. Read it, understand it, apply it to your life. That's just to give you a simple, illustrative way of looking and saying, huh, you know, God is a God of order, isn't he? He does things in a certain order. And he doesn't he give us the Word of God to confuse us, but that we might understand. I know you wouldn't know it by looking at me, but I'm not as young as I used to be. I had somebody, oh, I know what it was. The kids had pulled out a, uh, an old VCR. You know, it's old because you don't use, haven't used VCRs for quite a few years now. They pulled out an old, an old video to, to, uh, to play in the VCR of, of back some of, some of our kids when they were really small. And, uh, and then one of those suddenly, I think it was when Amber was a baby and dad comes walking around the corner with Amber and, and, and you had to take a second look. That didn't look like the same guy, you know. His hair is a totally different color for some reason. But I'm not as young as I one time was. And it's amazing. I, I sit down sometimes and I, I've never really tried to sit down and figure it out. But if you, you figure how many sermons that I've preached in this church alone over the last 20 years... And you figure the average of how many sermons it is a week. There's an awful lot of sermons there. It's an awful lot of time in God's Word preparing those sermons. But you know what? It's never run dry. What amazes me is after all these years for a not-so-young guy that's had to prepare thousands upon thousands of sermons from that book, Brother Steve, there's always something fresh. There's always something more. There's always something there to, to build our faith. I've never, ever, ever been afraid to send anybody to the Word of God, afraid that it might destroy their faith because it confused them. You can't find out more about God and your faith becomes smaller. The more you find out about Him, the more you understand what He's given us, the greater your faith will be, the stronger that you'll be as a Christian. Listen, don't become overcritical. We know there are brothers and sisters out there that are going to have a post-millennial view and an all-millennial view, and that's okay. That's all right. If it's some of your family, you know, don't get in a fight over them because they're not a premillennialist. But you need to know what you believe. You need to know what this church is teaching. And I said in the very beginning on a lot of these things, to each their own, many churches no longer will even place in their statement of faith what kind of a view of eschatology they have. They just believe that Jesus is coming back because they don't want to be offensive. That's fine. But how are you going to teach and preach God's Word if you don't take a stand somewhere? How are you going to teach all these books of prophecy? How can you teach any of it? If you don't either take it literally or take it spiritually, you've got to take it some way. You've got to teach it some way. We're supposed to have the whole counsel of God. So it is important. And so for us as a local church, it's important. You need to understand why this church puts that in their statement of faith, why they believe, why they stand with it. Not because that we think that we're better than everybody else out there. Not because they're all going to, to hell because they believe different from us. Because as a unified body, we've got to be committed around a unified doctrine. The truth is, it's pretty important 
It affects an awful lot of God's Word. But for you this evening, the most important issue at all is not to get sidetracked on the timing of the Lord Jesus Christ's return, but to understand with absolute certainty He is coming. And we've already seen in our study of this why that we say that that return is imminent, why that it could happen right now, that there is absolutely nothing in the Bible to hinder it happening now. You need to understand, once he returns, it's going to be too late. There will be absolutely, positively nothing you can do about it. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation, and it is for you this evening. Father, we thank you for our time together this evening. And Lord, we realize that considering such a big issue as the millennial reign of Jesus Christ upon this earth, Lord, that we could spend weeks and months on this subject. But the truth is we've tried to just grasp enough today, this morning and this evening, to be able to look and realize why that, Lord, that we believe with all of our hearts that Jesus Christ is returning, that He is coming to set up His kingdom to rule and reign upon this earth. And Lord, we'll look at the results of that to follow, God willing, next week. But Father, we pray that You would take and use these things to encourage and to help us to understand Your Word, understand what lies ahead. Lord, it should challenge us to First of all, in our own lives, to be sure that everything is there as it ought to be, it should challenge us and encourage us to be greater witnesses, to reach people while we can, because tomorrow very well could be too late. And we ask your blessing upon each one here this evening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.